0: Welcome to this uh, podcast of the European Hematology Association. My name is Peter Sonneveld. I'm a professor of hematology in uh, the Erasmus Medical Center, Rotterdam, the Netherlands. And this is uh, uh, the third podcast in a series of three that is funded by EHA to discuss multiple myeloma and associated treatment options in underserved populations. So the other two podcasts are about high-risk multiple myeloma and patients presenting with renal uh, impairment. Today, the podcast will focus on multiple myeloma in elderly patients and associated challenges that are in these patients. So to access the podcast, not only this one, but also the others and the associated resources, please visit the EHA campus at ihcweb.org. And I would like to welcome our host of today, Professor Sonja Zweegman from Amsterdam, the Netherlands. Professor Zweegman, can you introduce yourself?
1: Good morning, Peter. I'm Sonja Zweegman. I'm a hematologist working in the Amsterdam University Medical Center in the Netherlands, and it's a pleasure to be here.
0: So today we will focus on uh, patients this uh, not for myeloma who are elderly, and maybe the first question that we might ask is, uh, why is this a disease of the elderly? Well,
1: of course, it's known that myeloma is evolving from MGUS and the incidence of MGUS is rising with increasing age. So therefore multiple myeloma is a disease of the elderly with a median age of approximately 70 years. And the incidence of multiple myeloma is approximately seven per hundred thousand. But even with the same incidence, the number of older multiple myeloma patients is expected to rise sharply. Firstly, because uh, we we know, of course, that there's an aging population. So currently there are approximately 0.4 billion persons over 70, but that's expected to almost triple in 2050. And secondly, um, well, fortunate, we have more active therapeutic options, leading to an increase in the overall survival also for the elderly, and therefore the prevalence of the disease will increase.
0: So more elderly patients with this uh, presenting with this disease, does it also have implications for the treatment? Is the disease more difficult to treat in elderly patients or should it be treated uh, different?
1: Well, I think it is more difficult to treat, uh, especially in the, in the older people who are frail. And many of the older patients are frail, so they have less biological reserves. And uh, so they are, they are at risk and facing minor stresses, which is... For example, treatment for myeloma, and that leads to a more poor outcome. So disability, hospitalization and death. And also we know that yeah, the older and frail patients have more comorbidities. So they're more prone for side effects and that hampers treatment.
0: Yeah. So if you want to capture that in the clinical practice of uh, today, how can we recognize those elderly, those frail patients that should be treated uh, or approached in a different way? Can you explain a bit more
1: on that? Yes, well, it's quite difficult because frailty is a biological syndrome and it's very heterogeneous. And it can be best captured by a complete geriatric assessment. But that, of course, is quite laborious. And the prognostic value of a complete geriatric assessment has been scarcely investigated in multiple myeloma. So I think the myeloma community is very happy that we have a gold standard for frailty that's developed by the International Myeloma Working Group and it was validated in three uh, ENN studies. Now in those uh, three Italian uh, trials, it was found that H comorbidities and the impairments in the activities of daily living and in the instrumental activities of daily living were associated with overall survival. Now, and based on the strength of this association, a score was assigned and that led to the frailty index. And it was developed in three studies of approximately 800 patients and it was also found that that frailty index was not only associated with the overall survival, but also with progression-free survival the treatment discontinuation, and the non-heme toxicity. Now, the index has been validated in several studies. So um, that's that's a uh, strength of the uh, International Myeloma Frailty Index. And furthermore, actually, we showed in our Hovind studies that the frailty index also identifies really the biologically frail patients. So the frail patients who were identified using this index had less muscle mass, uh, being investigated by CT scans and, and function. And they also have more mental and nutritional impairment. So it's validated and it's reflecting really biological frailty. And it's prognostic for not only overall survival, but also treatment discontinuation and non-heme toxicity. So it's a very valuable uh,
0: index. Yes. And but uh, maybe I may ask, uh, is it also easy to apply in, in practice, daily practice?
1: It's quite easy to imply. I think it, it costs approximately uh, five minutes. Of course, um, you need to determine the activities of daily living and the instrumental activities of daily living together with the patients. But there are several apps available for that and the hematology app can be downloaded and it's very uh, uh, easy to to use and therefore to implement in clinical practice also just um, well, in the hospital while you're seeing
0: those patients. Thank you. So if we move from uh, diagnostics to treatment, these elderly patients, these frail patients especially, what is the right way to choose the treatment? What is the the better treatment for those patients? Uh,
1: Well, we have to uh, admit that the the evidence from clinical studies is is scarce uh, because often uh, the older patients are not ...included in clinical trials because of uh, strict exclusion criteria, so often they have too many comorbidities to be included in, uh, in such studies. And also maybe they are too frail to participate in all the study related procedures, so also patients might choose not to participate in clinical studies. And, and we can rely actually on only three prospective trials that were specifically designed for intermediate fit and the frail uh, patients. So in the intermediate FIT, the Italian study group was the first to develop a study investigating lenalidomide dexamethasone, and I will come to that in a minute. And we with HOVON were the first to develop a study that was specifically designed for frail patients using the IMWG frailty index. But commenting on that, because it learned something, those studies, the study in frail, which is the HOVON 143 trial, we investigated ixazomib, daratumumab, and dexamethasone, so for nine cycles, and then it was followed by maintenance treatment for two years, only giving daratumumab once in two months and only dexamethasone once in two months and ixazomib according to the normal scheme. And this study uh, included approximately 70 patients and 51% of the patients were over 80 and 80% really had geriatric impairments and or comorbidity, so a very vulnerable population. Now, importantly, we found that the, the treatment resulted in a high over-response rate of 80%, and importantly, also the quality of life increased during induction therapy. But the progression-free survival was limited with only 14 months, and we found several reasons for that. And I would like to mention that in half of the patients, induction therapy had to be discontinued prematurely and that was in six because, percent uh, because of non-compliance to the study treatment, nine percent because of toxicity and nine percent because of death and eight of those nine percent of the patients died already within two months so mainly because of toxicity and the other thing important to mention is that even with low-grade neuropathy patients and doctors decided to discontinue treatment with exasomib And that might be explained by the fact that patients value independence in life higher than progression-free survival. So these these results really highlight the need for supportive care in this older population, but also show that there's a decreased feasibility of treatment. Importantly, on the other hand, was that daratumumab was very feasible, also in the frail. It was not different. The side effect profile was not different as compared to the younger uh, patients. So I think that's important to realize that the monoclonal antibodies can be implemented also in frail uh, patients. Now, further details can be found in, in the publication in the Journal of Clinical Oncology. And, and then the the first study that was performed in the intermediate fit patients, that was done by uh, Alessandra La Roca and her group. And she compared lenalidomide dexamethasone according to the standard scheme with a dose-adjusted scheme. And then they gave nine cycles of LENDEX- just for standard, uh, in the standard uh, scheme. And then it was followed up by lenalidomide in lower dose, 10 milligrams, and the dexamethasone was discontinued. And what they found was that the median progression-free survival was similar between the two groups, approximately 20 months. But I think there's one other thing they showed and which was very important, that in the older patient population, not only the progression-free survival is important, but also the event-free survival. And they find events not only as progression and death, but also discontinuation to therapy, hematologic toxicity grade 4, and the non-hematologic toxicity grade 3 and 4. And now they found that there was a real difference between the EFS between the dose-adjusted scheme And the standard scheme and the dose adjusted scheme that appeared to be better and that really supports that study that there's a need in intermediate fit and that will also be possibly the case in frail patients that you have to lower the dose of lenalidomide after nine cycle and to omit dexamethasone after induction therapy and maybe even earlier in frail patients, and that's now being investigated by the French study group. And you can find the data of Alessandra Lauroca in, in, in blood. So these are the data from uh, from yeah the clinical trials that are available in intermediate fit and frail patients.
0: Yeah, so as you say, the data are, are scarce, uh, but there are data that can be used for clinical practice. So uh, you already alluded to that. Uh, the Uh, treatment schedules uh, in elderly frail patients are adapted already from the younger patients Uh, but even then uh, you may need to adapt the schedule according to the need and the uh, let's say the options that are available for those patients can you briefly summarize those major let's say adaptations that, that we can take in clinical practice just to show us what's what's important here
1: yeah, it's, it's important to state that there are several expert opinion guidelines, also for example European Myeloma Network. But when you summarize those guidelines, I think the first important issue to realize is that you rather have to escalate the dose after decreased dose intensity and dosing, instead of de-escalating the dose after standard therapy and experiencing uh, toxicity. And that approach was also supported by our frailty study because uh, almost 83% of the patients received second-line therapy when there was progression after first line, but only 28% of the patients received second-line therapy after they had toxicity in the first line. So toxicity is really an important denominator of preventing subsequent uh, treatment and should be Uh, avoid it. Now, the dose intensity, by example, a a, a nice example also from studies is that whenever you give bortezomib, uh, maybe only use bortezomib in the first cycle, twice a week, but then uh, go to once weekly administration of uh, bortezomib, giving rise to much less neuropathy. And when you continue the therapy for a longer period of time, having the same cumulative dose you can reach uh, a similar BFs and uh, maybe uh, even, uh, even better. What well, we discussed already, avoid high doses of dexamethasone and try to decrease the dose whenever possible. So when you have a response already, omit dexamethasone. That's best for frail patients. And when you look to the image, uh, you start with a lower dose depending on the IMWG frailty uh, index. And you can find the guidelines for that. In, in several expert
0: opinion uh, papers. Yeah, so when we focus on specific organ morbidities in those elderly patients, uh, which occur quite frequently, of course, in, the, in this population, how do uh, comorbidities affect the treatment choice and, and which are the major issues that you want to focus on here?
1: I think when, when you when you look at the guidelines, uh, whenever they're stated there are comorbidities, you should avoid certain... Uh, drugs. I also want to uh, state that I think it's very important to try to give the best treatment in first line because we know that many patients do not receive a second line of treatment so in the UK, uh, UK and the SEER databases only approximately 60% of the whole population of patients receive second line and that will be even less in intermediate uh, fit and frail patients so when, whenever you see a patient with comorbidities Uh, try to improve those comorbidities by specific treatment in order to allow uh, the best treatment. And many of the comorbidities are not real, strict contraindications. Now, um, to, to, to summarize shortly what is important to realize, of course, when you have neuropathy, you would rather give carfilzomib instead of, uh, of bortezomib, but maybe you would even rather choose a monoclonal antibody because that gives not price to neuropathy with imid like lenalidomide or pomalidomide with, uh, with less neuropathy. So in neuropathy, monoclonal antibodies and imids are preferred. Uh, when you want to give a, a PI in that situation, a carfilzomib may be used, Uh, But we know it gives rise to cardiac side effects, and and often in frail and intermediate fit patients, you have already cardiac comorbidities. Uh, It's very important then to strictly regulate uh, the the blood pressure, and and maybe with a lower dose of carfilzomib, only once weekly administration, you might try whenever you don't have other uh, possibilities. And of course, when you give monoclonal antibodies like daratumumab, you should optimize obstructive pulmonary disease. Uh, but I think it's not a real contraindication. So you might contact the pulmonologist in order to try to improve on that and then try to give uh, monoclonal antibodies because we know that the implementation of monoclonal antibodies in first line uh, really increase the median progression-free survival and, and the overall survival of uh, older patients
0: with multiple myeloma. So, hearing all this and, and all the precautions that you described, uh, I could imagine that it's necessary to uh, see these patients quite frequently during the treatment. Uh, what's your experience uh, with patients coming to the hospital?
1: Yeah, even even during COVID, uh, we saw those patients uh, in, in the hospital, because it, it's very difficult to capture by phone what the functionalities of those patients are. And when you see them walking in the hospital, you know much more in one minute than than only after having video consultancy. Of course, there might be a role for wearables in the future so that you can measure what patients are doing. Uh, so and then they they might not have to come to the hospital. We see them quite quite often. Of course, whenever patients feel reluctant to come to the hospital, often you can look at home administration of drugs, and and you might choose for a complete oral uh, regimen. But of course, then uh, often you omit very effective treatments like uh, like antibodies. So a, a combination of home administration, uh, choosing oral options, and discussing with the patients whether that's a, whether it's a problem to come to the hospital or not, uh, might uh, guide the choice uh, for your therapy.
0: So if you treat a patient, does it have an implication for the quality of life? I could imagine there's the toxicities that you describe, but there's also maybe improvements of the disease. Please, what's your opinion about that?
1: I I think it's a a very important question, because we always talk about uh, intermediate fitness frailty and then... Uh, Losing quality of life because of the treatment, but what we showed actually in our open trials in intermediate fit patients and frail patients both. uh, That the quality of life did increase and not only statistically significant, but also clinically uh, significant and and we will do uh, more uh, investigations uh, to that, but in, in general quality of life did increase. Of course, quality of life may decrease uh, during uh, treatment because of toxicity. So it's, it's very important to minimize toxicity and, um, and and capture that as soon as possible to adapt uh, the treatment. Uh, the only thing we found in our studies that neuropathy is a problem and that, that might evolve during treatment. Also with, with drugs like ixazomib, even with low-grade neuropathy uh, patients uh, choose to uh, to To discontinue the therapy because they might value independency in life over the length of uh, of life. So, that's important to discuss with your patient. But in general, there is an increase also in quality of life, and we have to remember
0: that. So, we are uh, entering a new era of treatment in multiple myeloma with many novel drugs and approaches. But I could imagine that we also want to make those available to elderly patients, but also maybe that it requires specific studies for the elderly patients. Uh, Can you briefly discuss with us what are the specific needs for studies in the elderly population?
1: You touch uh, upon an important uh, point. I think um, really dedicated studies are important in the intermediate fit and the frail patients using the IMWG uh, frailty index and, and actually that's uh, exemplified uh, by the study of Alessandra La Roca. She showed with lenalidomide dexamethasone that there was a median progression-free survival of 20 months. Now when you look to the Maya trial comparing lenalidomide dexamethasone as a standard treatment with daratumumab and lenalidomide uh, dexamethasone. Uh, In their standard treatment arm, the median progression-free survival was not 20 months, but 35 months. Well, that might have to do with more experience of the doctors with the regimen, but it also indicates that the patients who are included in non-transplant eligible trials not specifically dedicated to intermediate fit and frail, that that, that contains another patient population than the really intermediate fit and frail population. So there's a real difference. There there are more fit patients in such trials. So, So that's important. The other thing is that we should use the IMWG frailty score in those trials and not only do retrospective analysis using the simplified uh, frailty index. So now the simplified frailty index replaces the ADL and the IADL by the WHO performance score. But there's a, a big difference between those because the first are being investigated or being defined by the patient. And the WHO performance status is being defined by the doctor. So that's really a difference and that was found also in the studies using the simplified frailty index. Because when you look again to the Maya trial or to the Elcyon trial, they did, and also in the first trial, they did retrospective analysis. And even in the frail and the intermediate fit population, the outcome was much better. So that indicates that there's a difference in population between the simplified index and the IMWG frailty index. So we should use the gold standard in those uh, trials. And the third thing I want to emphasize is that we should power the studies enough also to investigate the subclassification of frail patients, because we found in our frail trial that even in a group of IMWG frailty defined patients, the patients are very heterogeneous. So you have patients who are defined frail because of age alone, so there are over 80. You have patients who are defined frail because of geriatric impairments. And the third group are the patients who are defined frail because of age and impairments. And the progression-free survival was hugely different. So it was 20 months for the patients who were defined frail based on age alone. And it was only 10 months in the patients who were older than 80 and had impairments. So we should develop trials in which it's possible to investigate what the impact of the novel treatments is in those subclassified frailty uh, groups in order to improve the outcome of frail patients, because I'm really convinced that we will succeed in improving the outcome of frail uh, patients. There are many novel treatment regimens that can be applied, but they should be a little bit more personalized. So those intensity less and those adapted, But I also think, Peter, that the bispecific antibodies are really worth investigating uh, also in the intermediate fit and maybe even in the frail patients. So I foresee a beautiful future for frail and intermediate fit patients.
0: Yeah, so I could only agree with that. But the last question of this podcast, are there any specific plans for studies in these dedicated uh, subgroups of elderly patients?
1: Well, there are many plans uh, globally, and uh, and uh, hopefully we can we can combine our efforts to uh, investigate the novel bispecific antibodies uh, against I think the best treatment available now for all the patients with multiple myeloma, and that's the combination of daratumumab with lenalidomide and dexamethasone, because that results in a median progression-free survival of over 16 months, so that's unprecedented. So I think that's standard of care. Uh, so that you can investigate whether it's possible with less toxicity to reach uh, a similar outcome and maybe an even better outcome. Uh, and the other thing we can do in the intermediate fit and frail patients is to see whether we can implement treatment-free intervals for those patients because you already touched upon the fact that uh, toxicity of the treatment can, al- can also hamper quality of life. So whenever it's possible to have a treatment-free interval where is remaining the efficacy, that will be uh, also a plan in the frail patients with multiple myeloma. So for frail, maybe such an approach for the intermediate fit, move on to the um, novel biospecific antibodies and uh, maybe even CAR T cells.
0: So this is the end of this podcast. Professor Zweigman, thank you very much for... Uh, the guidance that you provided in this uh, uh, very difficult uh, group of patients with multiple myeloma for diagnosis and treatment. Thank you again. Thank
1: you for the invitation and it was a pleasure to be with you. Have a nice day.